Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and dungeon delve, science fiction, watch yourselves. Hello everybody, welcome back to Plundergrounds. I'm your host Ray Otis and today we are going to talk about a role-playing game book called Warlock. You have to say it with some emphasis since there is an exclamation point after the name. I ordered Warlock through DriveThruRPG as both a hardback and a PDF and I ordered the Traders edition which has all new art from the previous edition and a couple minor changes that I'll note as we go through the rules. It is a digest-sized hardback with a monochromatic cover, which essentially means a black-and-white drawing um, that has behind it a uh, kind of weird orangey-pinky salmon-y color uh, faded in. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> I don't love the cover. I don't hate the cover. It's just kind of there for me. Um, I'm going to get all my criticisms out of the way, first of all, by the way. So I'm going to talk about some of the things that are wrong about the book. They're mostly just like some typos and things uh, before I get on with the game. But let me just be clear from the outset. I think this is a really cool game, and I do recommend picking it up. So especially if, um, well, let's start with this. The game is a mashup. Uh, it can't say this directly, but it hints at it, and it certainly is based on the, my observation of the rules and the art and everything. It is a mashup of fighting fantasy and um, the original Warhammer fantasy role-playing game. And so it is a kind of uh, DIY or OSR or retro clone um, in, in the spirit of those two games from the UK. And if you've got uh, hankering for old-school UK role-playing games, then I think this is your baby. Okay, it has black and white interior art throughout by Mustafa Bakir and Yuri Perkowski-Domingos, and there are 146 interior pages, so it's a, a, a decently sized book. Kind of perfect. I, I like that size of book. Nothing, you know, too much bigger. Starts to get into more than you can kind of, you know, work through in a sitting and, uh, you know, starts d diving into too much setting and stuff often. And too much smaller makes for an awkward hardback. Uh, once you get below, like, 80 pages, I'd prefer you go all the way down to, like, 50-something 50, 50 and make it a staple bound. <laughs> but that's my own preferences. So this game is written and designed by Greg Saunders. And the design of the book is by Paul Bourne. And here's uh, the negatives that I was talking about. Uh, Again, these are fairly minor quibbles. The font choice is fairly large and clunky throughout. It's certainly readable, but it's kind of all in the same weight, and it's kind of a heavy weight. So it's not super friendly on the eyes, and it has no italic or bolding. So it's all kind of one note, and it just lays fairly flat on the page. I'm not a huge fan of that. There are some odd alignment issues. Uh, the book is presented in two columns with a left-justified alignment, and then in the monster section, the stats and the description, which the description is only a couple lines, so I'm not sure why it's in two columns, but they're both in two columns, but the, the center um, space between the columns isn't lined up, so the stats have a, 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 center, a center space a little bit to the left uh, of the description. And so you get this weird kind of back and forth thing. A minor problem. I'm being really picky here. Um, it does not affect your reading at all. Uh, the text isn't always clear, but it's always clear enough to be playable, I think, in, in almost every instance. And so um, 
every time I had a question, it was usually answered somewhere in context or in another page. There are occasional typos. Uh, most of them are insignificant. I will note too that you should actually correct in your book if you get one that has these typos. And I say it that way because while I ordered the PDF and the hardback at the same time from DriveThru, I think DriveThru must have had some pre-printed because the PDF um, was correct in one place where a mistake had been corrected and the hardback is not. And that is about this thing called a a career skill. And uh, we'll get to what that means, but just for now, I'm going to tell you what the typo is. A career skill is supposed to be set to the lowest of all the skills within your career. So you get rankings in those skills, and whatever the lowest one among the five skills that are in your career is, that's what the ranking of your career skills should be. Again, I'll talk about that in more detail later. But on page 19 of my book, it says the lowest, but on page 61, it says the average. Uh, now, that's because in the older edition of this game, it was the average. And so there was just, that's just an instance that didn't get changed, at least in my hardback, but is changed in my PDF. The other thing that won't make sense if you don't correct it is if you go to the character sheet, all the skills are listed there. And at the top, uh, well, each one has a checkbox to the left. And when you choose a career in this game, it gives you five skills that are part of that career and it sets maximums for them. And so some are uh, at a lower maximum, like when you first choose a career, I think you get three at at maximum of 10 and uh, two at a maximum of 12, something like that. And uh, so these checkboxes are for marking which are your career skills, but also for marking which, which one is has the lower maximum and which one has the higher maximum. But that's a single checkbox, so how do you do that? And up above it, there is up above the skill section of the character sheet, it's got a checkbox and it says equals lowest max and then a checkbox and it says equals highest max. Um, but it, there's nothing in those checkboxes. And in the old version of the game, I noticed, it took me a while to figure this out, but in the old version of the game, they used one uh, slash mark, a forward slash mark for the lower max and an X uh, for the higher one. So it's not just a matter of like checking those boxes. It's a matter of doing something specific in those boxes. Uh, okay. And then finally, I'll just say that the character sheet is pretty cramped. The art is kind of cool, uh, but it could use some work. There's no place to mark your coins other than in your little possession section. And, uh, the, how you, where you sort of mark the total number on your skill is a little awkward. It's just a line. So, you know, I was left to decide, am I making tick marks and then putting a number at the end or, you know, how am I doing that? And it just, I just found it a little awkward. I filled out the character sheet several times with different characters and I felt that was awkward each time. I never found, you know, I, I kind of settled on a way of doing it, but the sheet doesn't really help you. Let's just put it that way. It's not a, a huge problem. I'm just telling you where the, where the quirks are. Okay. Let's move on. Um, the book starts with about five typical pages of what is a role-playing game and how to play role-playing games. The last three pages uh, are on game mastering. I honestly think it's kind of like a narrative frame and you can just ignore both of those, especially if you've already played role-playing games. The game mastering advice isn't really specific to this game so much as it is just kind of general advice. Um, the what is a role-playing game, the same. If you've read one, you've read them all. Uh, there are subtle differences, sure. If you make a study of it, it's interesting, but in the context of one game, it's not all that interesting, and I just say skip past it. Uh, I almost wish, again, this sounds like it is kind of a criticism, I guess, which is like if you're going to give me three pages on game mastering, just don't bother, right? Um, <laughs> either give me more that's specific to this system or 
or don't. Um, or maybe just give me like a, I mentioned on the last podcast, like a, a mantra, uh, you know, five bullet points or something like that. That, uh, by the way, that was from the, uh, what I'm referring to is the GM's Creed from the Index Card RPG. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can look that up or you can go and listen to my last podcast. Okay, now that I've awkwardly put all that uh, stuff first, I'm going to talk about what's cool about this game and how the general game works. It is a uh, career-based game that has a lot in common with fighting fantasy on the character-building side. And um, from the play side, it feels more old-school with D20 rolls for skill rolls and D6 rolls for damages. Um, so let's, let's walk through it a little bit. When you make a character... You go through, you take kind of several passes through the character sheet with the skills. There's really basically three stats in a way. There's your luck stat, which you roll 1d6 plus 7. You have a stamina stat, which you roll 2d6 plus 12. Your stamina is basically your hit points um, or your ability to keep fighting. They refresh pretty easily um, half of your lost stamina on a short rest and all of it on a long rest. And so it's really just about your ability to like, you know, stay in the fight. Um, if you hit z uh, zero, you have to roll on a critical chart that tells you what kind of, um, you know, what kind of more severe damage you took. Uh, you may have gotten like a sword through the hand that makes your hand useless for three days or something, or you might just die. Um, and in fact, we'll just get to this while I'm here. If something reduces you to negative stamina, you add that to your roll on the critical table. So if you got on to negative four, you would add plus four to your roll on the critical table, which makes you more likely to die, which I think is a nice way to handle negative hit points. One of the better ways I've seen. Luck itself actually just works like a skill. Um, against the base mechanic. So let's talk about the base mechanic now before we get into the, uh, the skills, which are kind of the, the skills and careers, which are kind of the meat of characters. Um, so uh, D6 plus 7 luck, your average is going to be 10 and a half, right? So let's call it 11. And um, the basic mechanic of the game is that you roll a D20, you add your skill, in this case it's luck, um, which is just a special kind of skill, uh, which is not a skill, I guess, if you look at it semantically, but you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> mechanically, it's a skill. Uh, so you add your skill, and you're trying to get a 20 or better. Now, the GM can can give you uh, plus or minus penalties or bonuses uh, based on the situation being easy or hard. I would suggest you could very easily substitute the um, advantage-disadvantage mechanic from 5e instead of doing the math, but uh, it's e either way is fine. And uh, if you meet or beat a 20, you succeed. And if you don't, you fail. Uh, and if you roll a 1, obviously it's, it, well, not obviously, a one's like a critical failure. Okay, uh, so when you test your luck, you would, in this case, uh, you would roll your d20. You would add 11, because that was the score that I came up with, and to see if you beat a 20. Uh, okay, that's the basic mechanic. Sometimes you're rolling against that difficulty of 20. Sometimes you're rolling against an opposed roll, in which case it's, you know, the, the higher wins and, and uh, so pretty simple, pretty simple. And then whoever wins, uh, you know, if you're doing damage, you do damage based on your weapon with D6s, and we'll get to that. Now, um, so you've set your stamina, you've set your luck, and then you're going to look at the 32 skills on the page. They're the adventuring skills. They're things like uh, stealth and uh, throw and um, missile and blade, right? So kind of typical things, uh, tracking, that kind of stuff. You 
Take 10 of those skills and mark them as level 6. You do another 10 at level 5, and the rest, which would be 12 more, are at level 4. So you're roughly dividing the skill list into thirds um, and giving them a 6, a 5, or a 4 as your base scores. Now you're going to add to those when we get to the career, so that's not all you get, but that's, that's to get a start. And then you choose a community. A community is basically your race, but and I love this, it's only fictional. There's no mechanical deal here. So um, it tells you, it basically gives you some role-playing clues uh, or cues about how you should play a dwarf or an elf or whatever. Uh, and it's the kind of thing that is true of this community um, and that the GM can kind of enforce whether you're working you know, whether you're an odd dwarf or, or how, no matter how you play your dwarf, the GM can make it uh, matter. So like if you walk into a dwarven community and you're a dwarf and you're playing it very non-dwarven like, they're all going to look at you like you're odd. Um, in, in human uh, circles, they might take to you because you're not so dwarfy as others, right? <laughs> and so I like that just kind of being flavor. Um so then moving on, uh, you roll a D6 four times to generate four numbers. There are four blocks of potential careers. And so you look up your number in each of those careers and you make a choice uh, out of those four. So basically, it's a quasi-random, quasi-chosen career path that you're on. When you get to the career, once you've chosen one, like let's say Rat Catcher um, or Town Guard or something like that, um, you go to that a tomb robber, let's say you go to that one and you look up and it'll give you five skills, as mentioned before, five career skills. Those are just the adventuring skills, but they're adventuring skills related to this career. And it'll say, um, some are maxed out at 10, some are maxed out at 12. So you mark your checkboxes on your character sheet accordingly. And then you are allowed to spend an additional 10 levels among those career skills. So long as you don't exceed the max, which is nice. You can actually max out a skill if you do, if you, want to be more of a one-trick pony, right? Um, there are some uh, possessions that come with a career, and those are really important, like um, things that you get um, in your inventory for, for being as part of that career, like a tomb robber might have a shovel, a lantern, a, a dark cloak, you know, that kind of stuff, a club. Um, and there are some random tables within there for generating flavor. So in the tomb robber, there's two different D6 tables that tell you basically what kind of tomb you last robbed and what you found in it, which gives you a little bit of a backstory, uh, enough that it might be like a character hook and suggest something without really being a being problematic as a backstory goes. And then you uh, set your career skill. Now you're Career, career skill, these words get a little confusing because you have adventuring skills, which are the 32 basic skills. Uh, and then you have your career, which names some of those skills as uh, career skills, essentially. <laughs> and then you have your career skill, which is a skill named after your career. So I would have, in addition to the 32 skills, I would have a skill called Tomb Robber. And that Tomb Robber skill would be set to the lowest of all of my other skills. Now, the lowest possible there would be a four. And that would be as if you didn't value that highly in the first in the first go round and you didn't add anything to it in the career, which 
not make a lot of sense. Your career skills probably going to be somewhere around a 10 for starting points. And that's just to cover anything that's not covered by those 32 careers. That is, uh, so basically when you go to roll something, you decide, does it match any of the 32, sorry, the 32 adventuring skills, not careers. Uh, so does it match any of those 32 adventuring skills? If it does, you roll and add that. If it doesn't, then I think you're left with two choices. Either it's just a matter of luck, in which case you're going to add luck, or it's related to your career, in which case you add your career skill. Fair enough. Uh, and then in addition to that, you get 2d6 silver to start with, a backpack, d3 days worth of food, a water skin, an eating knife, clothes, and boots. At this point, we have covered character creation and the basic mechanic. Let's talk a little bit about advances. Um, every session, the GM will grant you one to three advances. You can use those right away or save them up. Every advance is used to either raise a skill um, or once you get as many as five, you can spend, well, you have to spend five advances to choose a new career if you want to. So if you're looking to change careers, um, you have to save up five advances and then spend those to make the change. And then you explain you know, your kind of career change in the fiction. Additionally, there are some careers called advanced careers, which have higher maximums and additional skills. And those, um, you to get to an advanced career, you have to have had two careers, so, so more than one career, and you have to have at least three adventuring skills at a level 10 or more. And then you additionally have to spend the five advances to get that advanced career. Now, if you ever want to move from one advanced career to another, you have to max out all the career skills in the advanced career before you move to the next one. So it's a really interesting progression mechanic. And I really like the kind of career system here. I think it's, it, it definitely harkens back to the original Warhammer fantasy role-playing game uh, in a good way. As does the art, by the way. I didn't mention that, but the black and white art throughout the book is kind of spot on. It really reminds you of that old Warhammer, old world feel. Uh, specifically, uh, almost everybody has some form of uh, um, a deformity or scar or you know something that's related to their life as an adventurer and it, uh, or just living in a dark world where things are tough, right? And so it's pretty cool. Now, as far as combat goes, it's not a lot different than anything else, but of course it has a few extra rules. Initiative is just side-based, so if it's not clear who would go first, both sides roll a d6. Whoever gets higher wins. Uh, but initiative isn't all one side goes and then all the other side goes. Instead, it takes a back-and-forth approach. So the winner of initiative goes first, but going first means they get a turn. And a turn is basically to activate one figure. Now, I'm going to use the words activation and figure. That's not what they say in the book, but I think it makes it clear. So in a combat round, everybody gets to act. All the figures in the, in the combat get to act one way or another. Um, the winning side goes first. They choose one figure, take whatever actions they're going to take with that figure. You only get one action, really, but movement can be part of an action like attacking. Um, if you take movement as your only action, then obviously you're like running or something. And there's, I don't know, five or six different actions they outline in the book that you can do in combat that are typical. Uh, so I'd move a figure and then the priority passes to the, uh, the opponent who then moves a figure and back and forth until uh, one side runs out of figures to move and the other side still has a bunch left. They just move all the rest then um, in one, you know, one at a time. And when everybody's um, acted, that's a turn, or sorry, that's a round, and you restart it with a new round. And again, the, the initiative holds. So whoever won the initiative the first time gets to go first again, which could theoretically mean going back to back turns, but only in that instance. 
And uh, so let's see, when you, when you close it, let's start with missile attacks. When you do a missile attack against somebody, you roll a d20, add your appropriate missile skill. They roll a d20 and add their dodge skill. And uh, if you win, you do damage uh, by weapon type. If they win, they, they dodge away. Uh, damage is reduced by armor. So armor goes like uh, light armor has a D3 reduction, medium has a D6 reduction, and heavy has a 2D6. I don't love rolling armor. I think I would might just put those as numbers um, if I were doing it. And that's quite a bit higher than I noticed that like into the odd uses. I'm not sure how whether armor is too good in this game or not i get the feeling it might be but i'm not gonna worry about that right now i just think that like i don't like that it's variable because it just means a lot of rolling uh, but that's where the game's played and maybe once i play it i would be like oh this is fine um you can't uh, shield improves armor by one step so like you can go of light armor is a d3 and you add a shield and then it's as if it were medium a d6 but you can't improve heavy armor so it just stays at 2d6 however a shield gives you an extra bonus against missile weapons and um, there's a penalty for far range but other than that it's just it's kind of a straight roll there now when you get into combat the interesting thing is um, and all these exchanges you'll notice are both sides rolling. They're opposed rolls for the most part, right? Uh, but in combat, you're both rolling your weapon skills and whoever wins does damage. That means if you're attacking, uh, you can be damaged <laughs> by the, by the thing you're attacking if you get a poor roll. Now, what mitigates that a little bit is if you are on the attack, if it's your turn, you get a plus five on top of anything else. So if I have, uh, let's say I'm, I've got a 12 in blade and my opponent has a 10 in mace, okay, or, you know, blunt weapons. And so I, um, let's say we both roll a seven, right? So uh, I would be, well, so I would be at um, 19 and he would be at 17. But then I get another plus five, so I'm at 24 uh, to his 17 on the attack. And the same is true when it's his turn, uh, that that they, that they that the opponent gets a plus five if it's their turn. And so that kind of resolves some of that. I think it makes it fairly likely, well, 25% more likely, even if you had the same, uh, you know, kind of comp, com, uh, comparable stats, that you would do damage. The weapons are like D6 or 2D6 plus 3 or, you know, it's just, it's fairly predictable in terms of the damage. Uh, bigger weapons do more damage, lighter weapons do less. That's, um, you know, but they're all D6 based. Okay. Um, couple other quick things. Uh, the cost of things are in coppers or pennies, uh, silvers or gold, and the d equipment lists are divided that way. So you have like very common items that you'd buy with coppers and you'd have kind of routine, but you know, crafted items that you'd use silvers for, and then you got really finely crafted items that you need gold for. The default is that everything on those lists costs D6 of their relative unit, but some things will be marked as 2D6, uh, like, um, you know, armor is always 2D6, or finely crafted weapons are 2D6. And so that um, it's it's very the money system's very easy, <laughs> and, and it makes it very easy as a GM because you don't have to look anything up. You just like say, well, how much is uh, lamp oil, and you just roll a d6 and go uh, three coppers, you know, um, and so that's that's kind of fun. Uh, I think I mentioned recovery already. Uh, the only difference is so you recover half your lost stamina on a short rest, and an, uh, an hour is a short rest, and overnight you recover all the stamina. Critical injuries take longer, um, and usually the duration is suggested by the table you roll on. So like I mentioned before, if you get a sword through the hand, I think it makes your hand useless for a week or something. 
Um, spells uh, are in the fighting fantasy, tr- fighting fantasy tradition. They are not cast and forget. They are limited by spending stamina. So when you cast a spell, you spend the stamina cost of the spell, um, and then you roll your test and your test is based on the skill incantation so you roll a d20 add your incantation skill if you get a 20 or better you get the spell off if you don't the spell fails Um, if you fail the spell it isn't lost or forgotten but you have spent the stamina already so you can't you don't get that back Um, and on a roll of one you have to roll on the miscast table which can be bad for you or it can just be kind of funny uh, but it's kind of a backlash monsters well, actually, we do magic items first because magic items just like one thing to say about them, which is they're generally not mechanical bonuses. So they're you very rarely would find something that gives you a, a higher skill or adds to your skill. It's just they generally have spell-like effects, um, sometimes for free, or they allow you to cast a spell without stamina loss. So a scroll, for instance, or a spell ring might allow you to cast a spell without stamina loss, uh, but you'd still have to roll the incantation, or you might have a um, you know, a sword that does has some kind of magical effect like flame uh, that you just get. Monsters have uh, have a, a they have a type which I'm not sure matters much, but you know that's just like you know, undead or reptilian or whatever. Um, they have a number of actions per round. So this is interesting. Um, when I mentioned before the back and forth nature of combat, if a monster has multiple actions per round, the GM gets to activate them more than once, which is really cool for, for bigger monsters with like multiple attacks. You know, you think like a dragon would have a, a breath attack, a claw attack, a tail attack, right? So they might have three or four attacks. Uh, they have a, a line that describes their attack skill and damage. So it and they don't the book does not differentiate damage by type of attack for so like a dragon might have claws tail flame um, as an attack types and then they'd have a skill in those just one skill number it's not like they're better with their tail than they are with their flame and just one damage number so it's like no matter what the attack is it always does the same uh, damage maybe 2d6 plus 3 or something like that okay um, that gives up some complexity or differentiation for the ease, and I'm fine with that. I think the ease of that's just fine. Um, they have an armor rating. Um, they have, uh, which is comparable to human armor. You know, so fur might be comparable to light armor, a D3, you know, D3 hide, that kind of thing. Uh, they have any, uh, sometimes they'll have a couple adventuring skills, like just to show what things they're particularly good at. Uh, there is a default uh, adventuring skill. I think they say count it as a 10 if you don't know otherwise. Um, I can't remember that, but there's something in the book that says what you do with an adventuring skill if they don't have it and you need to roll it. But as a GM, you can always just make up, you know, a number um, starting you know, anywhere from plus four to plus 12 is probably in the in the right zone. And by the way, uh, your chances of succeeding as a starting character then are around 35 to 65%, like in that range, uh, depending on how high your skill is. So that's a pretty good spread, and uh, it, you know it's not too high of a whiff factor, I think, um, and also not too easy. Uh, they have a stamina. Monsters do, of course. So how many hits it takes to knock them out, and uh, they have notes, which notes are just kind of like any specials they have, like uh, tracking or poisonous or flight, or you know those kind of things, and then uh, description, which is just for flavor. So that's it. That's pretty much the whole game. In fact, that's everything in the book. Um, there's a reasonable number of monsters given enough that you can sort of figure out um, new ones fairly easily. 
but uh, not enough to be exhaustive. And uh, I don't believe, I can't remember if there are actually any magic, yeah, there are a few magic items listed, I think. Not enough to, again, be a full catalog, but enough to be, uh, to give you examples that you can build your own off of. And then I think there are supplements that you can buy for this game. I haven't, uh, I haven't, uh, <laughs> I haven't dived. It took me a minute to come up with, I wanted to say Dovin for some reason. <laughs> I haven't dived into any of these yet, um, but uh, I, I'm curious, and I, I do like this book. I think it's pretty cool, and, and I highly recommend it. I guess that'll do it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. I'd like to thank my producers this time, going from M to Z. That is Matthew Gusta, Manon Artor, Nate Marcel, Nate Treme, Neil Macbeth, Nick McJanet, Nicholas Foliot. Noah Doyle, Oraflam, Rexillo Palilius, Ryan Windedneck, Sam Sanford, Spencer, a.k.a. Freethrall, Stephen D. Warble, Stephen K. Watkins, Stephen Robert, Tom McDiarmid, Vincent Arabello, and Wayne Peacock. Thank you for supporting the show. If you'd like to support the show as well, you can join me uh, at the Patreon, but there's no obligation to do so. The show will always be free. I share a few extras there. I recently shared uh, a monster with an illustration that was done by the Midjourney AI and then uh, modified by me on the iPad a little bit. And uh, that was kind of fun. I'll, I'll do another one this month. But um, yeah, just thanks to all those people that support the show. Your money basically goes to buying me more games that I can talk about on the show. So it's a very cir circular um, uh, return on investment. <laughs> Until next time, look out for those rest monsters.